Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Quick story before I introduce um, our speaker tonight. Um, There was a woman who bought a book. She picked it up to read it, and it was not interesting. And she put it down. She just It was not well written, she thought. It was kind of boring, she thought, so she put it down. Then one day she met the author of that book, and they struck up a friendship. And the friendship deepened into a romantic relationship. And then they were engaged to be married. After they were engaged to be married, she picked that book up again. And every turn of every phrase meant something special to her. She looked through it and pondered it. And so it is, I think, with the Bible. When we come to love the one who is the author superintending the human authors, and we fall in love with him, we look at it, we read it, not like a college course, the Bible is literature, but like God is saying something to us. And when that happens, then we're like Jeremiah, who said, Your words were found, and I did eat them, and they were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Or like those two fellows on the Emmaus Road who said, Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us and opened the scriptures to us? Well, that's what we want to have happen. We want the scriptures to burn in you as you read them and them to be the joy and rejoicing of your heart. But you need to have the right tools in order to do that. And, of course, the first tool is the Bible. We're going to talk about that tonight. But can you imagine how frustrating it would be? Have you ever tried to do a job and you didn't have the right tools? This happened to me, actually, the other day. I have this old 1942 motorcycle, and I needed to fix something out on the road, and I had the wrong tool with me, and it was so frustrating. So you need the right tools, Just like an artist needs certain tools to paint or a carpenter needs certain tools to build or an astronomer needs certain tools to um, chart the heavenly bodies or a surgeon needs certain tools to operate, we need certain tools in approaching the Word of God. And we want to talk about tools tonight. We're showing you the implements of cooking a meal. Now, to do that, um, I am employing in this study not only... um, myself opening the series last week and closing it out, but several members of my pastoral staff who are gifted teachers. Most of them have at one time pastored their own church before they came here on staff. And tonight, uh, speaking about tools, is uh, David Rao. And David was the pastor at one time of Calvary Chapel of Taos. He started that fellowship. He was the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Taos. Uh, before he passed it on and came here on staff. And he was uh, a director of our school of ministry, and he's been a number of things. More than anything, he's been a close friend of mine and an apt minister of the Word. Please welcome Dave Rao. I want to say thank you, Skip, for allowing me uh, to be a part of this series. You know, uh, when I was given the, the task of talking about tools, I have to tell you, I was a little bit scared. Because I thought, uh, so I'm going to be talking about Bible dictionaries, possibly mentioning some grammar. Wait a minute, don't go to sleep. And other tools that we use in, in studying the Bible. But as I was reminded as I was going through it this week, I realized that 
It has probably been one of the greatest adventures that I've ever experienced, and that is the pursuit of God's Word. So, if you will allow me, would you please bow your heads and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us spiritual food, Lord, that we are able not only to sustain life, spiritual life, but we thrive because of your word. And so, Father, as we spend just these few moments together, we ask that uh, you would not only uh, fill us with your spirit, but, Lord, give us ideas. Lord, we pray that uh, we would leave here today excited to go out and to learn more about this book, your love letter to us. We thank you so much for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it all started for me, my pursuit of the Scriptures. And I'm going to take this time to talk about me because, after all, you know, I'm up here. (laughs) So, um, Anyway, it started at the age of seven for me. I was born in in a Christian home. I had Christian parents, Christian grandparents. And for all we know, we think the dog was Christian. Uh, We did hear certain... Barks that sounded like an amen uh, from time to time, but it was a Christian environment. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I surrendered to the Lord because even at the age of seven, I had sinned enough that I knew that if I died tonight, as the, the minister said, I wouldn't be going to heaven. I don't know where I'd be going, but I certainly wouldn't be going to heaven. But from that point on, things began to change in my life. And I began, even at a young age, to begin slowly to hunger and to thirst for the things of God. I also had a very unique, I don't know, um, title in our city. And that is, I was the church bell ringer. None of you here have that job. And I doubt there are very few people in this city who have ever had that job. But we lived right next to the church. My dad was the pastor. And right out next to the church was this huge bell tower. And I couldn't wait until 7 o'clock every Sunday morning. My dad would be there with his cup of coffee. And finally he'd say, okay, you can go. And like a dog, I would run out there and just begin to ring the bell. And and like the spirit of Quasimodo would come over me. And I'm, yes, wake up. It's time for church, you know. Uh, I didn't have a hump, but I was willing to. I wore a pillow under a couple of times. but uh. Now, I heard a lot of Bible stories as a kid. I, could, I memorized most of them. But in the seventh grade, a light went on in my mind. We had a seventh grade boys teacher. It was boys class. For, for young fellows there in uh, Texas in the Baptist church that I grew up in. And the teacher was my dad's best friend. His name was Douglas Dunn, and he was a farmer. But he taught in a way that I had never heard before. I had heard moral lessons. I had heard the way to salvation. But this guy, when we went into class, he opened up the Bible. He brought in maps. He brought in pictures of Israel. He brought in uh, imagery of soldiers and weaponry. And that group of young boys were enthralled and we were excited about Bible study every week. In fact, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but my first thought was, wow, this stuff is real. 
I mean, because when, when you're growing up and you keep hearing these stories of Jesus and lambs and, you know, all of these different people in the Bible, you tend to start to think, well, it's just, it's just another story. But he proved that it was something completely different. And it began to get my young mind churning. It wasn't always churning in the right way, but it was churning. Now, the next light that came on in my life is when I entered the doors of this church. I had been listening on the radio for a while, and I heard this guy teaching, and I really enjoyed it. But one of the things that really tripped the light on is the first day as I walked out, I thought, that guy, or it's actually that guy right there, actually (laughs) believes what he's teaching. And it hadn't dawned on me before that people wouldn't believe what they're teaching, but when the way that he said it, I thought, he really believes exactly what he is saying and what he's teaching. And I got a real great meal, by the way. I was full. Uh, The next thought I had was that this guy must study all the time. And so um, my first words, actually, to, to skip, dear friend, my pastor, were these words. After about two months of sitting right over there in the corner, I walked up after service. Uh, <clears throat> Hello, uh, my name's David, and uh, maybe you heard of me, I don't know. And uh, I, I've been coming to this church and stuff, and um, I just want to tell you, thanks for studying. And he said, whoa. Okay, well, thanks. And I walked off. But that was my first words is, thank you for studying. And I want to say again, thank you for studying and feeding us all of these years. I mean, I was really skinny back then. I mean, I've eaten a lot since then. A lot of good spiritual food. The next thing that I found on this campus was a bookstore. And I thought when I walked in there and I saw some of the titles and everything, all the array of books in there, I thought that I had found the the lost minds of Solomon. I mean, this was the treasure trove that I'd been looking for all of my life and I couldn't believe it. I was a single guy. I didn't have a lot of money, but I started, the wheels started turning. I thought, you know, I can buy this book this week and uh, two weeks later, this next pay period, I can buy this book and this book. And what started out as a passion... Uh, led to a calling and eventually became a profession. And after 20 years, I was here back in 1989 in this fellowship, 88 and 89. I remember my first book I bought in the bookstore. It was a history book, a seminary history book, and I wrote my name in it, Albuquerque, 1989. And I didn't know that it would grow into a library of well over a thousand books. But I tell you, I, I don't have a real... I didn't do that just because I have a compulsion. I mean, I am a part of a, a, a 12-step group that meets and, you know... I mean, the first meeting was, Hi, I'm David, and I like books. And uh, <laughs> I have a lot of Bibles. But, I shouldn't have said that, but it's kind of funny anyway. Um, I'm blown away, and have been blown away, about what God has done since that day in my life, giving me a love for his book and this pursuit of knowledge. Now, here's a little note about Bible knowledge. 
To me, the best way to understand Bible knowledge is the image of a jigsaw puzzle. You guys like jigsaw puzzles? Oh, the hands are going up nowhere. <laughs> There's five of you. Well, you know, I mean, you can, if you've ever done them before, you know, usually it's some odd, weird occurrence that causes us to do jigsaw puzzles. It's not, we don't do them naturally. And it's usually like mom just finishes an article in Evangelical Home Journal or something, and she says, <clears throat> Now, family, get in here. I'm sorry if I'm going to thin some of you moms. It's, it's the best mom voice I have. <laughs> uh, now, family, uh, I went to gather around and have a family meeting. Uh, I think we've been watching way too much TV. And uh, that goes for you over there, Mr. Football Man, Mr bear on the couch, eating chips, man. Uh, that goes for you, uh, little miss on the computer, Twitter, uh, Facebooker, little girl, and uh, all of you little video game, um, you're going to have to leave your little Mario brothers behind, and uh, we are going to do something as a family. I have a big Moses uh, picture, jigsaw puzzle, and it's, you know, and uh, we're going to do it together. And so the dad kind of pulls his pants up a little bit and says, All right, kids, I want this done in 45 minutes. The game's going to be on. Let's do it. No, no, no. You wait a minute. You wait. This is a 25,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. And I've moved away all the furniture in the living room. And we're going to spend many hours together doing this. Bible knowledge is like a jigsaw puzzle. You open up the box, you got all of these pieces, and you kind of have an image there of you think you know what it's supposed to look like, but you're thinking, oh, this is going to be so hard. But like a jigsaw puzzle, your understanding, your picture of the biblical world becomes clearer as each piece is added. You know how to do a jigsaw puzzle, don't you? You kind of start out with the borders, and by the time you get the borders completed, you feel like you've conquered the world. Now you only have about, you know, 20,000 pieces left, <laughs> and your eyes are starting to cross, but you, you look for those pieces and put them together, and pretty soon the image begins to take place, and Bible knowledge is much like that. There's so much. It's so vast. And that's why a lot of you, when it comes to Bible study, you say, yeah, forget it. I'm going to church. I'm listening to the pastor. He's a professional. God ordained him. I give my tithes. I'm done. You know. But the truth is, that's only a portion. Yes, we understand from Scripture that God has given us gifted individuals who feed us regularly and take us through God's Word. And we're very thankful for that. But we're missing out on a personal blessing if we don't begin to engage in the pursuit yourself. You know, it's one thing to go pick up a frozen dinner. Not saying that's a frozen dinner, Skip, just so you know. Uh, but it's one thing to pick up something at a restaurant. It's another thing to go out into the field with a gun, camouflage, a little grease paint, good shotgun shells. Uh, I know it's exciting for many of you out there, but you, you, to go out and to get 
your kill, take it home, clean it, put it in the oven and eat it. There is something very satisfying and enriching in that process. And for me, it's been one of the best journeys of my life. Now, it's rewarding for single people. Think about Paul the Apostle. You think he had a good time? He had one of the greatest lives the world has ever known. It's good and fun and rewarding for married couples. You have Priscilla and Aquila as examples in the book of, uh, through the New Testament. And it's also fun, not unlike the jigsaw puzzle, for the whole family. If we would just give our minds and open them up to what God would have, set aside just a little bit of time you will find that the pursuit of the knowledge of the Word of God, the pursuit of the good food that is available for yourself, with your family, with your friends, all alone with yourself, can be very, very rewarding. Okay, well, let's get started. Tonight, we're going to look at some tools that aid in this pursuit. The first will be choosing the right Bible. That's our first section that we'll look at. Secondly... We're going to look at a concordance. I know some of you are wondering, what is a concordance? Well, you're going to find out that just very soon. Then we'll look at Bible dictionaries. And we'll look at commentaries. And finally, we'll look at computer resources. All right. Choosing the right Bible. Where do we start? There are so many Bibles. How many of you have been in the bookstore and saw all the Bibles in there? Pretty amazing, isn't it? You walk in and every time you see a new one, oh, wow, I, I didn't know that. I mean, that one's got, that one has burgundy and sort of the navy blue with the gold stitching. Honey, honey, I, know, I haven't seen this one before. I think we need it. There's so many different Bibles. You have King James Version. You have the New King James Version. You have the New American Standard Version. You have the New International Version, the NIV. I mean, how many of you here uh, read the NIV? Awesome. There's a lot of you there. Or the ESV, the English Standard Version, and the New Living Translation, and the list goes on and on and on. And we have more questions. Do we want red letter? That's the words of Jesus. They're in red in the New Testament. Do we want center column notes that run down the middle? Do we want a zipper cover? By the way, I don't really recommend that for men. It's not... Okay, you'll get it later... Or do we want fully illustrated? Or do we want pictures? Do we want a big Bible, a small Bible that's easy to carry around? Do we need large print? Large print, you can tell the people who have large print Bibles. They usually have large glasses and bad backs. (laughs) Because they're pretty big books. Okay, there's a lot of choices. Now, the first place that we start our search is for the right translation first thing that we need to note is that the Bible is an ancient book. In its original form, the manuscript, it was written in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, in Aramaic. Some portions of the Old Testament are Hebrew and Aramaic. And in Greek, in the New Testament. And because of this, translations are important because as cultures and languages change, it's necessary to translate the biblical text into the current language so that the gospel is preached in every epoch and every culture and every language. Do you, you get the point here? Bible translations for us are very, very important. Otherwise, the message tonight would be brought to you 
courtesy of Greek language. And you would have all had to study Greek. And I would say, get out your text, and we would read in Greek. But because God's Word is transcendent and His desire is to preach the gospel into the whole world, we have it in our own language. In fact, if you look with me over at the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we read a couple of verses that give us an idea of what God had and planned right from the beginning. And speaking to His disciples, He said... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go, therefore, and what does he tell us to do? Make disciples, baptize, and teach making disciples, training people how to follow Christ. And to do so, we have a book that avails us the knowledge and the understanding that God wants us to have. It's a precious, precious commodity. And having it in our own language allows us to fulfill that calling. In fact, I believe, my friends, that it is God's will that this will continue to be translated and promulgated throughout the world until he returns because it holds his message and his desire for the world. That's what makes it so important. In fact, here's a little interesting note. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book in history. In fact, upwards of 1,200 languages thus far. I love what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's important that this book goes out into every single language. You know, even the ancient manuscripts that we have, the old text, the Greek text that we have of the New Testament, we have over 5,600 manuscripts available to date. That's more than any book in antiquity in all of history ever. It's one of the most well-documented books, and it has stood the test of time. Why? Because it is God's book himself, and he is the one that has chosen to give this word to us. All right. What are some of our choices when looking at translations? Well, there are basically two with one little extra on the side. You have what is called, you write this down if you want to, a formal equivalence. A formal equivalence. The second is a dynamic equivalence. And the third is what we would call a paraphrase. And that is more like a commentary. Okay, let's look at a formal equivalence. A formal equivalence is a method of translation that attempts to give a word-for-word, clause-for-clause, and sentence-for-sentence rendering of the original text without sacrificing readability. You see, it's very hard to translate from one language into another. There's not always words. I know some of you here who speak Spanish fluently. And um, some of my good friends will try to tell me a joke that's meant to be heard in Spanish. And they said, well, let me try to translate it into English. And it never is funny. (laughs) And usually the comeback is, well, 
it's like, well, you know, you got to speak Spanish in order to, to get it. Because there's a lot of culture wrapped up in the words themselves. In a formal equivalent translation, the translators do their best to look for and find a word in the current language in which they're translating it to, be it uh, English or whatever language it is, they try to find a word that matches the Greek word, it matches the, the, the clause or the statements that are being used, so that at its best, it's being faithful as much as possible to the original text. And uh, some of the Bibles that you know as formal equivalents are the New American Standard, the King James Version, and uh, the ESV, the New, the English Standard Version. And in some respects, the one that we use is one of the best, and it's the New King James Version. And here's the thing about this. All of this work goes into this because, for one main reason... Readability, understanding, and accuracy are the main considerations of the translators. You do not want to be the person who takes God's Word, takes from the the text and the manuscripts that we have in the original languages, and then misinterprets and sends the wrong message to God's people. Most of these translators take their job very, very seriously. Okay, that's a formal equivalence. The second is a dynamic equivalence. And the translations in this category aim a rendering that allows the Scripture to have the same mental, emotional impact on the modern readers as it did in the ancient world or the original language. You could, you could look at this as a clause-for-clause or a thought-for-thought translation. Now, these type of translations are really fun to read. Because they're not spending so much time trying to find the exact word to fit the Greek word or the Hebrew word. that They're taking the discrete entities of language, which are clauses, and they will, they will look at them and they say, Okay, what is the author intending to say in this particular clause or this sentence? And so they find an accommodating clause or an idea in the language that they're translating it into, and it, it's very readable, it's fluid. And the reason that they do this is that they, it wants or it's desires to allow the modern reader to look at the text, read it, and say, I got it immediately. I've got it immediately. You know, that's, that's the desire. I'm understanding it in my own culture, in my own language, and I get it immediately. That's the purpose here. Now, some of the Bibles that uh, are very popular in this category are the New International Version, the New English Bible, uh, the New Living Translation. And, and it, for, for most of us, it's written for us simple folks. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you here spend hours reading the King James Version Bible. I know a few of you that do. And I like reading it myself. But if we're going to be honest about it, it's, it's kind of hard. It's a little choppy. I remember going to the bookstore with my mom. I mean, you know, I was a pastor's kid. So first thing they, they teach is how to get a cool Bible. And so they took me down to the bookstore. I think it was about uh, six years old. 
took me in, bought me a beautiful buffalo, brown buffalo calfskin Cambridge Bible. I mean, this is big bucks, and we're like a little poor pastor's family. But, you know, you've got to have a cool Bible. It's a King James Version. Well, you know, I'd pick it up and take it to church with me and bury it around proudly, but I never would read it. You know, it's too hard to read until finally she gave me, which is a, the, a paraphrase, the living Bible. How many, many of you have probably read that too. A great paraphrase of Scripture. And I loved it as a kid because I would open it up and understand it immediately. All right. Now, both translations are very important. But the formal translations are the best, you hear this, and safest for in-depth Bible study. The dynamic equivalent versions are great for devotional, uh, being used alongside uh, a formal equivalent Bible in formal study. But I caution you in using one of these dynamic equivalents for your main study, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was visiting with a friend of mine. We were going through uh, how to study the Bible, and this last a couple of weeks, I gave him an assignment over in 1 John chapter 2. In fact, if you want to turn there, uh, you can look at verse 2. And we were working on how to do word studies and to look up things in uh, your Bible dictionary and to find more meaning. And, uh, and um, in doing so, uh, he did his word studies. And look with me at verse uh, 2 of chapter 2. And he said, I, I, I came up with two words from this passage. I came up with the word sacrifice and the word atones. In fact, the New Living Translation that he read from reads like this. He himself, speaking of Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And so, my friend, he said, the, the words of importance here that seem to stand out are atonement and sacrifice. And he looked them up and he gave me a long explanation of them. And in fact, this phrase gives a good rendering of the original idea in the Greek. It's very accurate. The problem is, the two words that he looked up are not in the original text. In fact, look at your translation or the New King James. It says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the whole world. And some of you are thinking, well, I like the other one better. <laughs> what is a propitiation? Well, I don't know. I had a, I had a propitiation right on my hand, and I, I went to the doctor, and he gave me some cream, and it seems to be going down, but I, I don't know how I got it. The Bible has very unique words. But it's a very, very important theological word. In fact, the Greek word that corresponds to this is hilosmos. And it means the appropriate, exact sacrifice that was necessary. And you, you see all of these pictures appear of Jesus. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in the Greek and ancient world in which he was writing to. 
in order to appease the gods. You know, they had crazy gods. And if you didn't do right things, you know, they'd make you infertile. They would shoot lightning down at your house and give you weird diseases. And so you had to bring the appropriate sacrifice to appease the gods. So all of the people who read this during that time understood exactly what he was talking about. Now, the dynamic equivalent, great reading, theologically correct, but it's hard to do exact studies with this type of Bible. I would suggest that you use it alongside of a more formal translation. Okay, next on our list of biblical tools after finding the right translation is study Bibles. I know many of you here have study Bibles. Study Bible is like the Swiss army knife of the Bible world. And I'm not talking about the little pocket Swiss army knife with the little clippers and the pin and the tweezers. I'm talking about that big honking Swiss army knife that when you think of pocket knife, the last place you're going to put that thing is in your pocket. You know, it has a chainsaw, flamethrower, a laser beam, you know, retinal detector, all of those different things that that you need. It's, It's about that big very, very useful because it seems to have everything right at your disposal that you would need uh, up in the woods or wherever you are. Well, the study Bible is very similar. In fact, let me read through a list of the the blades that it possesses. You have the biblical text, first off. You have a concordance. You still may not know what that is. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, It has a topical index, maps and charts, cultural background, chapter outlines, word studies, commentaries on select passages, and cross-references. Now you think for a second, why do we need so many helps? I mean, aren't we able to just read the Bible in our language? And yes, it's true. It's true that you can get most of all that you need if you have a decent translation in your language, all that you need for life and godliness. But these tools allow us to peer into the biblical world and it makes makes it easier in the long run for us to get to the meat of the text. In fact, these tools allow us, if you allow me to go back to the jigsaw analogy, allows us to see the picture that we're shooting for much easier and we're able to put the pieces together and see it come together much quickly. Why? Because languages, religions, political and social environments of the original readers of the Bible were much different than the world that we live in today. Can you imagine Moses, if he was translated from his particular time to ours right now, and someone takes him out to a seaport and says, look at this. This is what we call a luxury liner. Can you imagine what he would be thinking? You know... I could have used that at a particular time. (laughs) Cultures are completely different. You know, you go even now, in our world that we live in today, currently, you go into some countries, uh, if you shake hands with the wrong hand, you have completely offended the person. If you pick your foot up and show them the bottom of your foot, you'll be escorted out of the country as a heathen. You can make a lot of mistakes cross-culturally. And so these tools allow us 
to figure out what's going on. Because here's, here's an important note. The precepts, the principles, the commandments, the message of the Bible transcends time, culture, because the truths are timeless and they come from God. And one thing is it, that has been static from the beginning. Humans have always been human. We've never morphed into anything else. I know some of you look like maybe you've tried from time. Maybe future generations will, will get there for you, but we've always been human. And our basic core makeup and what makes us run and what we need and what we need to respond to and how we grow is the same in every culture. And, and, and that's why God's Word is so important. It transcends all of these cultures. But here's a word of caution. It's a, it's a big word of caution. It is always safer to interpret the Scripture when we first seek to understand what it meant to the original readers. Case in point, um, new and old wineskins. First time I read that passage of Scripture where Jesus said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins lest the wineskin break and you lose both the container and the wine. And my, my background was, uh, you know, skiing on a mountain and seeing those people with those little bags, you know. You ever seen one of those? Have you ever seen one of those little bags that they carry wine in up in the ski? You, I'm ashamed of so many of you people who are in this church shaking your head. And I, I've, I read about them. And I, I'm just saying, I had those things in my mind. I thought, what's he talking about? Did a little research, looked up in some Bible dictionaries, and I found out that that um, wine in the early stages emits a lot of gas. And so it needs to be put into a container that is flexible and that can expand with the gas. And typically what they would do is take uh, an animal body, an animal skin, and fairly new, fairly, fairly pliable, tie up the ends, and then they would pour wine that needs to be fermented in that and it would begin to expand with the fermentation process. But as the, the, the leather on this, this item got older, it becomes brittle. And so you take new wine that's going to expand and you put it in that, in that uh, old wine skin that's brittle, what's going to happen? That expanding gas will break and you'll lose both the wine and you'll ruin the vessel. A little bit of history, a little bit of culture goes a long way. And it's easy to get to the principle. So our first task in all of this and all of these, these things that we look at is, is to understand what he was saying to the original readers. Okay? Now, just a little side note. Don't want to scare anybody. But Bible study takes time and it's work. You know, one of my favorite commentators, guys I like to read, was an old pastor by the name of Alexander McLaren. And he likened Bible study to going into his garden. He loved to garden. And he, he made the statement that he would put his gardening boots on and go out into his garden and work. 
And he said, if, if someone were to interpret and study the scriptures, they should take the same precautions and take it with the same gusto and the same mentality as pulling your boots up and going to work. It's also been very well said that the Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. Now, I'm not trying to condemn any of you out there, but that's just a basic fact. And it is different than devotional reading. Devotional reading is where you open up your scripture, you have that time in the morning, maybe in the evening or at lunchtime with the Lord, and you just read from the Psalms or maybe the New Testament, and you receive it, and you commune with God, and you never want to stop that at all. But you want to add to that the process of putting the pieces of that puzzle together and seeing something amazing as God shows you His Word. All right. Well... Using your study Bible is very important. And I'm just going to run through a few notes here and then we'll press on. Um, In the front of each chapter, you have a little background information. You guys ever read any of that information? It usually contains the date, uh, the authorship, and it'll give you just a little bit of cultural background so that you understand the waters that you're getting into. It has outlines that sort of give you the flow of the text and where you're going. You have margin notes that will give you cross-references. And, and, and you know, one of the things that we hold dearly is the fact that Scripture interprets Scripture best. The best kind of Bible study you and I will ever do is letting Scripture interpret itself. So as you look through your margin notes or if you have a center column reference, you'll see little uh, Scripture references, cross-references that will lead you to other passages. And in reading those other passages, they shine incredible light on the one that you're reading. It's one of the best ways to study the Scripture. You have a topical index that allows you to study. If you look in the back of your Bible, maybe it's in the front of yours, you'll look up a subject and you're able to follow a subject all the way through Scripture. And uh, finally, you have maps and charts. Most of you, to be honest, don't read the maps and charts. Some of you do. But I find that they're probably some of the best Reading because you're able to see the distance that Jesus and his disciples traveled and the terrain that they were going through, and you realize that the pages of Scripture come alive through that whole process. All right, allow me just a little personal soapbox here for a second. Beyond studying, uh, finding a translation, beyond finding a, a study Bible, um, you have to choose a Bible that fits with you. And I I want to make a few suggestions because there are so many out there. First of all, choose a Bible that will last. My mom used to love to take me to Buster Brown Shoes. You guys, any remember that? How humiliating. No kids. No converse till later. I had to be on a basketball team to get converse. And we go into Buster Brown's shoes. They had the little cute dog, and there's Buster Brown, his little sort of sissy outfit, and all the kids at school knew that. Now we're buying these because we're buying shoes that last, and we want these to last. Hey, if you're going to buy a Bible, save up, even if you don't have a lot of money, and get something that will last. It should be good quality leather. leather. It should be stitch-bound on the edges. You can go in and ask your uh, guy in the bookstore about all that information. And why? 
Because what I've found with Christians is that their Bible oftentimes becomes your best friend, especially your first Bible. You know that Bible after you get saved and somebody gives you a Bible, you go out and buy one, and then you show up to church, and man, you just start taking notes everywhere, and, and then, you know, you're writing, and they're like, praise the Lord, this was awesome devotion today, and what did the pastor say that word meant in Greek? And, and pretty soon, over a period of time, you have your own personal treasure that is awesome. The problem is, if it's in cheap binding and cheap leather, it's falling apart. Which, you know, you've heard the old phrase that, you know, if the Bible is falling apart, probably the person who owns it is not falling apart because of use and understanding. But I'll tell you a few stories. I think that we need to take care of them um, because these are some of the most wonderful possessions that anyone has. One day, I'll tell you a story of one of our... Our pastors. I won't mention his name. It uh, rhymes with um, Eric Lamb. Oh, well, I just mentioned his name. <laughs> anyway, he he was carrying his Bible into church, and he always has that big smile and so positive and nice. And you, you almost hate him because he's always so positive and nice. But uh, he had a beautiful silver Bible, and I looked at it and I thought that is stunning. So I walked up to him and I I said, hey, buddy, where'd you get that Bible? I've never seen, you know, silver leather. And he said, well, Dave, it's not leather. And I looked at it a little closer. It was duct tape. (laughs) He had completely covered his Bible in duct tape. And I said, hey, you're a pastor. Why don't you go get like a new Bible? And here's the answer that you all say, well, it's got all my notes in it. It has all it's my treasure. I ha- what will I do with another Bible? This is my, my friend. I have another story of a very, very, very sweet person in this fellowship. And she's going to be so embarrassed that I mentioned her name, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Carrie Brown. Yeah, everybody goes, oh, because you know how sweet she is. If any of you have ever been through step-by-step and in-depth discipleship, you know who she is. Well, for years, she has carried around this thick tome of a Bible, and it began to fall apart. In fact, it looked like it could explode at any moment. (laughs) And, you you know, we have this really great company that rebinds our Bibles beautiful leather will allow it to last longer and so i think uh, you know we were talking to her said you know you got to get that rebound and you should have seen the shock on her face it was like what my my baby Uh, you know she didn't say that but that's the way you thought you know and it took us forever to get it out of her hands to get it over there and get it rebound and now her, her baby is back safe with her right now but there's a real relationship that's developed treasure it treasure it, take care of it. Don't break the binding. Don't stuff it with bulletins. And I know there's a lot of sinners here. I see you when you're leaving the church on Sunday morning. You got that thing packed so full. Well, maybe I can just put one more right in there. And right by Exodus. Right there. You know what that does? It snaps your binding. And pretty soon, one day... The, 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 the earth will shift, there'll be a, a dynamic change in the, in the barometric pressure, and your Bible will explode. 
It'll probably hurt a lot of people around you. So don't do that. Don't leave it on the dash of your car. I know it may look spiritual. In fact, one of my good friends for years. I have a lot of good friends. They all have Bibles. So I have Bible stories. Well, first time I met this guy, I was up in Taos, a real humble guy. And he walks in, his Bible's all frayed and it's all opened up. And uh, we sit down and talk and we have tea. And I'm looking at his Bible thinking like, gosh, this guy must read his Bible all the time. Until we went for a ride in his pickup. And I saw his place where he retires his Bible each day. And that's in the dash, right next to his cup of tea. And so every left turn, a nice big splash of tea goes right into the Bible. And then the nice sunshine makes that thing fan open, you know, (laughs) like a new morphing creature. There's no honor in that whatsoever. If you take notes, go into the bookstore and find an art quality pen. I made the mistake of purchasing a very expensive study Bible with wide margins so I could take notes. And I was taking notes and I found these new pens and I had different color pens for different things. And about a year into it, in one very rainy summer, yeah, you got it. The red pens look like lipstick. has been smeared all through the Bible. Make sure that you don't do that. Treasure it. Treasure it as an heirloom. And I brought this to show you. This is my dad's Bible. Inside of it, I have his spiritual journey. I have all of his notes, everything that he left behind. And I, I looked at the date that he bought this. It was 51 years ago. And it's really cool leather, and I'm still able to read it and still hang on to it. So remember, you're not just doing this for yourself. You could be passing on an heirloom to future generations of your family for them to follow in your footsteps. Well, we'll look at a few other tools, and we'll close. I said we'd finally get to the concordance. You guys want to know what a concordance is? Most of you probably already know. It is a book that if you have the really big ones, has every word in the Bible. Some of the smaller ones have almost every word. And it's very handy for you and I if you're just trying to think of that, what is that verse? It's the one who it has about the nails in his hands. And uh, I'll put doubting his Thomas. And what is it? And so you, if you can remember just any one of those words possibly in that passage, you can go into a concordance find that word, and it will have labeled all of the verses in the Bible that have that word. It's a very, very useful tool. In fact, we're going to let you hear about some of these tools later on, but it's something I would suggest that every person uh, needs to have. Now, if you have one in your study Bible, you've probably been frustrated because it's not very complete. Well, there are those out there that are called exhaustive and really they are exhausting because they're very big the second on the list a third on the list is a bible dictionary a bible dictionary is one of my favorites because it contains great photographs reference maps atlases as well as giving good information on significant or interesting persons 
places or things or action words. Now notice I didn't say nouns or verbs. I'm not talking about nouns or verbs. Because whenever you mention nouns, person, place, or things, people will go, did he mention nouns? I think he mentioned a verb too. Okay. Amen. Well, pastor, that was just such a comforting, refreshing message with all of your nouns and your verbs and talking and I feel refreshed. I'm ready to go out and get some cold stone or stone cold ice cream <laughs> with Pastor Skip. A dictionary is cool for this reason. You say you find a, you're reading along, you find a person that sounds cool. Abimelech. Who's that? I'll look it up. Okay, or maybe a cool place like Bethlehem. You want to read about Bethlehem or things like the Ark of the Covenant or action words like David slew Goliath. And and a dictionary is available for you to look up at any time. And every time you look up a word, you're putting a piece of the jigsaw puzzle in that greater picture. All right, the fourth is commentaries. Commentaries are books that are written by really smart guys and women. In fact, there's basically two categories. There are pastors who have taught the Bible, studied the Bible, and have amassed, you know, dozens of books on the Bible. And they're very useful because they'll take all of the study that they have gleaned through the years, put it on the page, and and you're allowed to peer into it and find more about it. There's also scholars. And this is a little more scary group. The, the scholars are the guys that they keep back in little rooms, you know. It's not very much light. It's covered in books. You crack open the door. They have really thick glasses. Their skin's sort of gray. Yes, can I help you? I was just going to ask you a question. Well, I don't have time for that. No, just go on now. To me, commentaries are old friends. If you ever wanted to ask a smart guy what's going on in a passage of Scripture... That is the best way to look at a commentary. If I could ask, you know, A.T. Robertson, if I could ask Kenneth Wiest a question about Scripture, what would I ask? I ask the question, I go to the passage of the Scripture, and it gives me a very unique explanation from someone who has spent their life studying it. But I'll tell you, the best, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and prayer. You'll never substitute when the amount of books that you can buy and fill your libraries and empty your bank accounts. Nothing compares to taking that word of God and getting on your knees with the Holy Spirit and asking the living God, what did you mean by this? And I, every time that I have done that through the years... God, through the power of His Spirit, will always take me to another passage of Scripture or lead me to a passage that will give explanation. And and I've never been disappointed. The Bible is always the best commentary. Okay, a final group of tools are online or computer resources. If you like computers, the best place to start for free books, free tools is, write this down, e slash or dash sword dot net. 
If you like working on the computer, you like staring at the blue screen, you like insomnia or whatever it is that's going on in your life, remember that, e-sword.net. Tons of resources there. The second is thebluelettervible.org. I'll say that again, thebluelettervible.org. And you'll find more free tools in those two places than you can probably use in your whole lifetime. And if that's not enough for you, you can go over into our bookstore and buy uh, Bible programs. All right. Well, I hope I haven't completely bored you to death. I see you're still awake. And uh, I just want to close this with just a few little thoughts. Number one, don't waste your time on junk food and fluff. Get started today. Get cooking today. Get the tools that you need and begin the journey with the Lord himself and begin to put that puzzle together. Uh, Skip's going to come up here in just a minute and mention a few things that we have. But I want to mention a very important resource for you guys. In fact, it's a resource that I've used many times throughout the years. We recommend it to others. And we have it out here in the foyer tonight. And that is a book by Skip, Pastor Skip wrote. It's titled, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. And in fact, this whole series follows the progression of that book. So it would be a perfect companion for your study. God bless you, and thank you for this evening. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you, and God bless.